We're in uh, Acts 21, and I'm going to give you just a couple of things to be thinking about as we read through it. Uh, one is, and this is, do you need this piece in order to understand what the theme is of Acts 20 and 21? Probably not, but it's part of a pastor's job, preacher's job, to kind of put flesh on the bones, to put, you know, the dust in the air. When we hear this travel log, we think, at least I do, I think in terms of this travel, Paul going around the known world three times, this is his third missionary journey, and yet you look at a map, you look at a globe, and Asia Minor and province of Asia and the Middle East doesn't look that big on the map. but um, And I kind of picture 21st century traveling sensibilities. Like if I want to go to San Diego and I want to save 300 bucks, I'll drive to Chicago or Detroit, you know, buy my ticket for Chicago. And then I'll pay the other $300 in parking. But, you know, you, you, I'm just saving a couple of bucks. And, and I spend a couple hours in the airport and then I get on the plane. I fly three to three and a half hours. And then I get to San Diego um, and I get off and I got to get my bag. And then I get an Uber or I get a shuttle or I rent a car and I drive to where I'm going to go for another couple hours. And it's a hassle. And I sit there for two hours in the airport and you go through security and it's awful. And, and I always get the, I'm always the guy because I look like that. I'm, I'm always the guy that they pick and over here and wand and other stuff. Um, and you know, you're like, oh gosh, it's traveling so hard. I can get to the other side of the country and get to where I'm staying in a day. Now, Paul, when he went around the known world, I, look, let me put it this way. Let's say we had, let's say I had an invitation to preach at a, at a, at a church in Detroit. And they said, the only thing, you know, well, even if they said, we're going to pay you really well, can you come over on your vacation? Here's the only thing. You can't travel by car, bus, plane, train, otherwise you got to walk. Think I'm going to accept that invitation to walk to Detroit for $200? No. That's how they traveled. Everywhere they went. You know, if, they, if you were rich, you had a donkey. And when they got on a ship to go across, like if you want to go to Wisconsin, if you want to drive to Ludington and get on the high, or no, that's the Badger. If you want to drive to Muskegon, get on the high-speed ferry, okay. And you get over there, and then you either have to pay too much money to put your truck or your car on it, and uh, all right. But when they took a ship, it had sails, but not like our super yachts in the America's Cup, not like that kind of sail. Um, and they had oars just in case the wind shut down. And if a storm came up, they probably die. So it's just a different world. And I want us to at least think of first century traveling instead of 21st century traveling. That's just kind of the meat on the bones. Now the theme of this last chapter in this one, one of the themes, and it's just a travel log, but there's a couple of little nuggets and I want, you to, I want to ask you to think about them because they're difficult, especially difficult for Western Michigan, Western civilization Christians. Because we have this sense, we have this hope, and we've got it pretty good as Americans. We do. We got it pretty good. We're mildly inconvenienced on a regular basis, and that's about as bad as it gets. We don't think of Jesus calling his people to suffering. In fact, we won't say it necessarily, although people do. I, 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 met, I talked to a woman last week who lost her son 16 years ago. And a pastor friend of hers told her, he died of cancer. And a pastor friend first told her right afterwards that if she would have had enough faith, he wouldn't have died. Because we don't want suffering to be something that God would call us to. We don't want grief to be something we have to embrace. We don't want the hurt that sometimes comes with just being human. 
And so we have this psychological gift that God has given us, this, this, this idea of we're looking for purpose in everything, and that's a good thing. I mean, the scripture backs it up in Romans 8, 28. It doesn't say all things work together for good. It says in all things, God works together for good for those who trust in Christ Jesus and are called according to his purpose. But we have to understand, and it's very difficult, that some people, not all, not even most, but some people are called to either a season or a life of suffering. And we want that to go away. I don't want my children to suffer. I, if Lynn were, were really ill, I would ask God, give me her illness. I don't want to see someone that I love suffer. We have a natural tendency to say no. And then we have this natural tendency to be like Job's counselors um, when he's suffering. That's an entire book of the Bible about suffering. And there's something bigger going on. But his counselors would say, you must have done something wrong. God's displeased with you. We, we tend to want to make it the person who's suffering's fault. And folks, I'm just going to tell you, that's like saying to, a, to an Afghanistan veteran who has PTSD from a traumatic brain injury, saying, well, if you just wouldn't have gone, it wouldn't have happened. We don't do that. Why take away someone's purple heart? Why take away someone's battle wounds? Why minimize or trivialize someone's pain when sometimes, not always, but sometimes, God calls people to suffering? Jesus, Peter, Paul, many others. So here's the travelogue, and we'll break a couple of times in it just to, to talk through this theme. Now, Luke is the author here, and he is um, uh, he, he's talking about they just met with the Ephesian elders and then he says, after we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Kos. The next day, we went to Rhodes and from there to Patara. We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, uh, went on board and set sail. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria. We landed at Tyre where, where our ship was to unload its cargo. Finding the disciples there. And by the way, when Luke in Acts is talking about the disciples, we tend to think it's the 12 or the 11 that are left. Um, and it's just anyone who's a, who, who's a Christian convert and who's been a convert for a while, maybe a leader in their church, basically saying we found the Christians there. So it says, uh, finding the disciples there, we stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit... They urged Paul to go on, or not to go on to Jerusalem. Now, we talked last week, those of you who were able to be here, uh, we talked last week about Paul was compelled by the Holy Spirit of God to work his way up to Jerusalem. Not to, he didn't get, want to get caught up in Ephesus. He decided to call the Ephesus elders to him where he was because if he, he would, he'd get caught up in Ephesus, he'd be there too long. He has to get to Jerusalem. He has to get to Jerusalem in time for Pentecost. The Holy Spirit compelled him to go there. And Paul told us that in um, each city he enters, he, the Holy Spirit tells him that his future holds suffering and hardship. Imprisonment and hardship or shipwrecks and hardship. And he's already suffered. I mean, the guy has been shipwrecked. He's been bitten by poisonous snakes. He's, he's, he's gone through the 39 lashes a couple of different times. He's been beaten. He's been spit on. He's been kicked out. Everywhere he goes, someone's after him. Every single place he goes, there's some kind of conspiracy. There's some kind of, 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 of group of people that are trying to get him gone and trying to shut down this new Christian movement. 
So on one hand, Paul, the Holy Spirit of God, is telling Paul, you must go to Jerusalem and telling Paul, you're going to suffer. On the other hand, these people, through the Spirit, are telling him, don't go. So is the Holy Spirit of God telling Paul, go to Jerusalem and you're going to suffer and telling these people, stop him from going to Jerusalem because he's going to suffer? Of course not. God doesn't contradict himself like that, but we do. Paul knows what's in store for him. Maybe not specifics, and we'll hear some more specifics in a minute. Maybe not specifics, but he knows what's in store for him. And he has people that love him. You notice where it says that, that, that Luke says, when we, when we finished up, we, we tore, when we were able to tear ourselves away from them. That, that speaks to relationship. It speaks to love. See, I, I did a wedding yesterday in Keeler, Michigan. I'm sure you guys are all, if you're not aware, uh, right next to the thriving metropolis of Waterville. Okay? Uh, it's one of those places when I was driving with GPS, I'm driving along, it's about an hour away, uh, half of it on the highway, then half of it on the two-lane bumpy roads. Um, and, and I got to the point, I'm like, I must have typed this in wrong because there is no way there's a wedding venue here. And so, and, and I lost cell signal, so, so all right, I'm going to turn, I'm going I'm to turn around at this little spot and go find a town and ask. I always get there early. So, and the, the very driveway that I was turning around in was the venue. Okay? Beautiful place full of black flies, outdoor wedding, Friday was miserable, yesterday much better, uh, enjoyed it, loved the, the couple, I've known, them for, I've known him for a little over a year, known her since she was, since she was I don't know, 10 or 11 years old. Um, but Lynn and I were there for the rehearsal, and we met some people, or I was there for the rehearsal, and met some people, and went back home, 10 a.m. on Friday morning, 4.30 p.m. on Saturday afternoon was the wedding. Lynn went with me yesterday, and we met some people, shook some hands, had some conversations, and when the ceremony was over, we got in the truck and came back home, and they stayed for the reception. We were not torn away from them, but some of those family members who come from all over the country to this little spot, after the reception, they go back to their hotel in Pawpaw, again, thriving metropolis, the Marne, or the, uh, the Pawpaw Hilton, um, and then, and then they went back to their homes. There were some tears. I guarantee it this morning. They were torn away. And if one of them would have known that this couple, and I, God forbid, but this couple was going to suffer, they would have told them, don't go on your honeymoon. They would have told them, don't marry one another if, if, if the marriage is going to be suffering. Of course, we don't want someone we care about to suffer. Of course we don't. It's a natural tendency. And if the Holy Spirit kind of says to us, hey, this isn't going to go well for them. We want to stop them. And we've, some of us, we've heard about it. If you haven't experienced it yourself, when someone, Lynn had a friend a couple of years ago that, that, had, that had suffered from cancer several different times in her life. She's about our age. And the last time it came around, she had decided, I'm not treating it. I'm not, I'm not going through that again. I'm going to live with the quality of life that I have. And I'm going to let the Lord take me when the Lord wants to take me. And there were people that, that, that thought what she was doing was wrong because they didn't want to lose her. She chose to suffer at the end, but not suffer through all the treatment. And we, as people who care about people that are suffering, we want to stop the suffering. But sometimes God calls someone to suffer, not necessarily for payment for sin. And there is, there, that happens. You know, that God, God forgives us for our sin, but he also allows the consequences of our sin to work themselves out. So if I were to cheat on my wife, which I have not and I will not, but if I, if I would, you would not want me preaching to you. 
that would be a consequence to my behavior, right? So, but sometimes people suffer because God has something bigger in mind. Jesus suffered. Would we say that he didn't have enough faith? If he would have had more faith that Jesus, the son of God, wouldn't have suffered? Sometimes God has a bigger battle in mind than my particular experience. Paul tells us pretty clearly in Ephesians, he says our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and the powers of the air. Who are the principalities? They're the generals and the colonels in the demonic army. So sometimes God allows what he could prevent because some, something bigger is going on. And you may, if you're called to suffering, you may have an idea of what that purpose is, and you may not. But some of you have been called to suffering. And the rest of us sometimes judge them for it because we think they must have done something wrong. But Paul has done nothing wrong. They don't want him to suffer, but it goes on from there. But when our time was up, we left and we continued on our way. All the disciples and their wives and children accompanied us out of the city. And there on the beach, we knelt to pray. And after saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship and they returned home. We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed in Ptolemus. And we greeted the brother, uh, where we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. Uh, he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Don't know why it has to say that they're unmarried. But I do want you to see that God used women, even in the first century, to speak the very word of God to God's people. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, the Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. And when we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. And then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but, to, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of our Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. After this, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us and brought, and, and brought us to the home of Nason, where we were to stay. He was a man from Cyprus and was one of the early disciples. Now, lots of traveling going on. Two instances of Paul knowing where he's headed and the people trying to stop him. It happened to Jesus. You'll remember when Jesus says to Peter or to the disciples, who do people say that I am? Well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah. But what about you, Peter? Who do you say that I am? I think you're the anointed one of God. And Jesus says to Peter, that has been revealed to you of God, not of man. And because of that, I give to you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. What you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And what you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That's an amazing moment. And about five verses later, maybe it's 10, Jesus says, the son of man is going to have to suffer. We're going to go up to Jerusalem. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be put in a tomb. I'm going to be raised again on the third day. And Peter says, no, you will not. I won't let that happen because Peter knew that Jesus was going to be the king. He's going to ride in on a white horse and he was going to conquer Rome and, and, the, and the kingdom of God is going to be established on the earth. He didn't get it. 
And he didn't want his friend, his master, his Messiah. He didn't want the, the, the one, his rabbi to die, to suffer. So he, he says, no. He rebuked Jesus as the word. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. We have a natural tendency to not want it to be true that someone might have to suffer. These people did not want Paul to suffer. And no one wants it to be true that God might call someone to suffering. And so we, we deny it. And we fight against it. And we think if someone's suffering, it must be their fault. Paul was not at fault. Paul is doing what God has called him to do. God even sent a prophet before them to say, you're going to be bound and they're going to hand you over to the Gentiles. He's telling the people what, it's going, what Paul's going to go through so that they would pray and strengthen him and encourage him, not dissuade him. God may call you to suffering. And I pray that that's not true. And it won't be true of all or even most. But oh, those who are called to suffering suffer alone. Because their brothers and sisters in Christ often try to make sense of it. And try to tell them that they need to do something different. Don't take their purple hearts away. Don't take their battle scars away. Our world is changing. Don't know if you've noticed. The culture war that's going on, it was happening similarly here. See, the Jews, those Jews, they wanted to shut down this new Christian movement to the point where they were willing to kill Christians. Paul used to be one of them. And they got it out for Paul because he's the leader. If they can just take him out, maybe this whole thing will die. The natural tendency of people who have an enemy is to demonize them and to think they, they don't get, they're just evil. They want what's terrible. They, they, don't, they won't even accept their own Messiah. But that's not, they believe they're doing right. They're convinced that it's a holy mission. Paul was convinced that it was a holy mission when he was killing Christians. Paul compelled by the Spirit, knows that he's going to suffer, but he's looking at these people. He knows who they are. He's, they're his brethren, and he wants one more shot to win some to Christ. See, his love for them is greater than his fear of suffering. Is yours. You know, I've, I've had my share of suffering, more, more injury than suffering, I've had 22 dislocations, 14 surgeries, two rollovers, one that almost killed me. Um, okay. And the only thing I can't really do is shake your hand with my right hand. Really a mild inconvenience when it comes right down to it. I know what fear is, and Paul is not a slave to fear. I have been. And I'm reluctant to tell the story because it seems to have gone away. I think it's been long enough, but... but um, not long after I came here, on Good Friday, I got a phone call from a uh, sheriff deputy. He was asking me some weird questions. Do you know so-and-so? Like, nope, doesn't sound familiar. Are you sure? 
yeah, pretty sure. But, you know, I was in a church for 21 years. There's, if you take all the people that kind of came and went and were there, there's thousands. And then I'm in a church that's very large and I, and I don't know everybody yet. So, you know, well, do you do anything online? Well, back then our sermons weren't online. They, they were on Vimeo, but they were kind of a private link. And you had to go to our website to get to that. And well, how about Bible studies online or small groups in, in, uh, psych, in psychiatric wards or anything like that? And I'm like, okay, what's going on? These seem like odd questions for a sheriff deputy that I don't know to be asking me on Good Friday. And he says, well, there's this man, and he names him, and he's in Kearney, Nebraska at a psychological hospital. He checked himself in, and he's, he has schizophrenia, and he's homicidal. And I thought he misspoke, honestly. I'm sitting in my brother's driveway, because it's the day that we're going to put in the docks on the Thornapple River, and I'm sitting in his driveway, and he says he's, he has schizophrenia, he's schizophrenic is the word he used, and, and he's homicidal. I mean, you, you meant suicidal. He goes, no, he's homicidal. That's why I'm calling you. Oh. Oh. He says, he says that, that he checked himself in. They're getting him on his meds. Kearney, Nebraska. But he, he says that a pastor in Zealand, Michigan named Trent Walker is in his head telling him to kill himself. And the only way to get him to stop is if he kills Pastor Trent Walker. Oh. Okay. I'm a pastor in Zealand, Michigan. This stuff's not supposed to happen. And I get off the phone, I tell my brother about it. I'm a little shaky. I don't know if he would, would be, but I was. Um, and okay, by the time the, uh, Easter came around, a couple days later, and then Monday, I'm sitting with a student ministry staff telling this story. And what he had said is, when they get him on his meds, they can't keep, they can't keep him against his will. He checked himself in. But when they let him go, we'll let you know. I'm thinking weeks. Monday, 4 p.m., as I'm telling the story, the phone rings. Just so you know, they let him go. Okay, 4 o'clock p.m. My kids were in Colorado. Um, they, they, were, they went to college in Colorado. We made that drive a lot. Kearney, Nebraska is about, about 10 hours away. It's 4 o'clock. This could be a long night. Because if he's driving and he decides to come up here and find me, this is not going to be good. So the bumps in the night were really loud that that. And every, for the next couple of weeks, if, if not months, every time I went into a movie theater, every time I went around a bend, every time I came out of my house, you're just... Now, I was afraid because someone wants to kill me. Would it have been okay for me to go to the executive team and to say, by the way, I'm really scared, so could you have someone else do my job for a few months while, until this kind of dies down? Of course not. My job is to be faithful even though, even in the midst of fear. And I'm telling you this that long ago because I hope I think it's just gone away. We'll see. Have I been called to suffering? Not like Paul. Have, <clears throat> have you? I don't know. But I do know that in the world we live in, things have changed. Now what's holy is considered evil and what's Immoral is considered sacred. So we're hated because of who they think we are. And so we want to demonize them. Those this, those, those, this, that, online trolls. You know, we have all the words for it. And because someone thinks that what we think is holy is evil, we want to just cast them off. And we want to hate them. We want to write them off. We want to say they're not worth it. If Paul behaved that way, you and I would not know Jesus. 
If Jesus behaved that way, you and I would not be saved. So scripture's full of calls to suffering. Pick up your cross every day. And if anyone would come after me, he must take up his cross every day. The cross is an instrument of torture and suffering. We're told to die to ourselves. We're told, Stephen praised God when he was being stoned to death. Praise God for being declared worthy to suffer for Christ's name. Paul says, I am willing to not only be bound, but to die for the sake of Christ. Why, does he, why is he willing to go and do that? Because he might win some. Those people are still people that God loves. They don't understand what grace is. They don't understand what mercy is. They don't understand that God is God and God is love and he loves them deeply. They don't understand. He, they don't get it. And he wants them to see it. And it's worth his life to tell one more person, what's it worth to you? He's willing to be faithful even though he's going to die. And he knows it. The Spirit told him. Okay, we'll lighten it up for a sec. My wife, I've told you this before, my wife every now and then looks at me and says, I love you even though. And what that makes me feel like inside is like I just went camping for three days and I forgot my toothbrush. Even though, what? What does she mean? Well, even though I married Mr. Wright, but his first name is always. Come on. Even though I have an opinion on everything. Even though I share my opinion on everything. Even though, even though, even though. She chooses to behave as if love is patient and it's kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It's not suspicious. It's not all those things. She chooses to behave toward me and even to feel toward me what I don't deserve. God loves you that way. He loves you even though. He died for you yet while you were still a sinner. And he calls his people to behave that way toward the people that are his that don't know they're his yet. We're told to turn the other cheek when someone slaps us. We're told to, to go the extra mile when someone de demands something of us. We're told to, to not be thinking of ourselves, but to be thinking of others. We're told to be like Christ. We're told to do nothing out of self, about for our self, a selfish ambition or vacancy, but in humility, consider others better than us. That even means the people that think what you believe is evil. It especially means loving your enemy. Praying for those who persecute you. Blessing those who want to harm to come to you. The world will not change by us winning the argument in our heads. The world may change by people mistreating us and we loving them and us loving them in return. Paul was imprisoned and he won people to Christ. Jesus was hung on a cross and won a, a terrorist to Christ because he would not condemn he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Can we be the same people that Jesus and Paul and Peter, you know that every one of the disciples, except for John, John died a ripe old age. Peter was crucified upside down. Other disciples were boiled in oil. And all they had to do was say, nope, I made it up. But they were willing to suffer so that more might know. They were willing to be faithful even though it was going to harm them. Are we? I don't know that you're called to suffering, but some of us are. I'm not talking about martyrdom. 
you might lose friends. You might have a child that goes astray. And you plead with God, why, why? I don't know. But I can tell you this. The people, most of the people that are fighting against what you believe is holy, believe they're doing a holy thing. Our battle is not against them. It's against the one who's deceiving them. And the way we win First Peter tells us that love covers a multitude of sin. Let us love even though they're not loving toward us. Let's pray. Lord, give us courage like Paul. And you tell us that if we humble ourselves and ask for you to heal our land, that you will. So Lord, heal our land bring revival, and use us to show them how much you love them, how much you don't want to give them what they have coming to them, but you want to give them what they have not earned. Show them that your way is better and help us be people that point toward you because of the good things we do. We pray these things in Jesus' name for his sake, and for his glory. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance toward you. God give you his face, smile at you, and give you peace. And all of God's people say, amen. Go with and in the peace of Christ.